Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go down and go to hell. I'm going to blow them. Time for 911, we're for emergency. Oh, this is Sandy. We're pretty one look. Talk to the road. What's the problem? Send the police. Send the police. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started, eating the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl Williams. He's still coming down with this and just pulled it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cherub, cherub face, cherub face little boy who would do it, whose life would be. I harm someone each time. Kill someone to be an enormous amount, uh, especially at first. Uh, enormous amount of uh, horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crimes from Australia. And indeed around the globe. What will you be talking about this week, Barney? Well, Tara, Chow Hayes was a violent, sadistic, standover man and murderer. In 1930, Chow became the first Australian criminal to be described by police as a gangster. He would graduate from child thug to celebrity criminal by the age of 23 and wreaked havoc on the streets of Sydney for over five decades. Oh, it's a cracker of a tale. I can't wait to tell you this one, I can't wait to hear it. What have you got for me? Well, yeah, this one isn't bad either. Nicholas Klaus was a blood-drinking, cannibalistic hospital worker whose hobbies included desecrating graves and worshipping Satan. Nicknamed the Vampire of Paris, this death-obsessed gothic ghoul decided to kill someone because, well, I guess it just fit with his image. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Oh, he's amazing. I can't wait for you to hear more about him. Great. Now, of course, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. Okay, Tara, it's time for you to get murdery. Before I get murdery, I do have a question for you. Sure. Were you ever a goth? Yeah, I did. I was a goth for a little okay. while. Okay. When? Like, how old were you? Oh, uh, maybe 14 or something. Yeah. And, like, how were you a goth? What did you do? Oh, uh, I don't know. Black lipstick, eyeliner. Really? Yeah. Are there photos? Yeah, probably. Okay. And were you into goth music and you, like, did goth No, nah, it was just a look, I think. What but made th- you stop? Oh, well, I found uh, acid-washed jeans and um, 
dyed um, blonde spiky hair. Oh, and you've never looked back, have you? Yeah, and, and pastels. I did like pastels. <laughs> Actually, I've seen some photos of him when he's younger. And yeah. he, and I he's apolo- not kidding. I apologise for that whole period. I was young. <laughs> and I needed the money. <laughs> were, you, were you, Tara? Um, no, I wasn't actually, but I have like super pale skin and I've been dyeing my hair dark since my late teens. I also wear a lot of black. So yeah, I'm, I've often been mistaken for a goth. Oh. oh, and I love cemeteries. So, okay. You know, I'm probably part goth. We have got drunk in cemeteries a few times, haven't we? Taken a six back to the cemetery and, uh. We've Beach. definitely had some drinks in the cemetery and oh, they were good times. They were good times. We should be doing that again soon. It's, Maybe. It's coming up to summer. I don't know. We're not really friends now, so. Yeah, no, yeah, that's we're true. We're more like colleagues, really, aren't we? Oh, not even that. Just like, <laughs> I don't know, like acquaintances? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Well, Barney, someone who was definitely a goth was Nicholas Clow, who goes by the name Nico. He would probably answer to sexy vampire too, but that would be inaccurate. He kind of looks like an off-brand young Steven Seagal if Seagal wore his hair long and straight and parted in the middle and liked wearing metal band t-shirts and desecrating tombs. Hot. Yeah, I know. Are are you as turned on as I am right now? (laughs) Even more so. Oh, God. Things are going to get sexy. Nico was born on March 22, 1972, in the Republic of Cameroon, where most residents speak French. Is that a biscuit? Uh, no, it's a, a country in Africa. Uh, that's a macaroon I'm thinking of. <laughs> right. Why does it not surprise me that your stomach was thinking for me? I do like a good biscuit. Nico's dad was a Frenchman who worked for a bank and was often sent to foreign countries on assignment. The family moved to London when Nico was five and then to Paris when he was seven, which is where they lived until he was 12. Nico was an only child who spent most of his time alone in his room. He describes his childhood as normal, but said that his parents never showed him any affection and mostly left him to his own devices. He believes this turned him emotionally cold and resulted in him lacking empathy for others. I'm not sure if that's true, but something resulted in him lacking empathy for others, I'll tell you that much. Like many good latent goths, he developed a fascination with death, the occult, cemeteries, vampires, werewolves, death metal and slasher movies. And Nickelback. When Nico was 10, his grandfather died from a cerebral embolism. In an unfortunate twist of fate, Nico and his granddad were having an argument at the time of his death. Though Nico didn't feel guilty at all, he was pretty sure that his family blamed him for his grandfather's death. When he was 12, Nico and his parents moved to Lisbon in Portugal. He didn't have many friends here either, as the board games the local kids liked playing leaned more towards Monopoly than Ouija. Like pretty much every teenager ever, he felt intensely lonely, full of hate for those around him, and like he was the only person on earth experiencing these emotions. I feel that now. (laughs) Actually, I'm not far (laughs) off. When Nico was 16, he and his parents moved back to Paris. This was awesome for Nico, as Paris has some kick-ass gothic graveyards. Of this period, he said, Before long, I knew every single cemetery in Paris like the back of my hand. I spent the majority of my free time in graveyards. My favourite things were mausoleums. I would peek through their windows to see inside. Some were decorated with furniture, paintings or statues. 
It was not long before he began working on a plan to get a much closer view. In order to obtain entry to the mausoleums, Nico would pick their locks, use a crowbar or break in through a window. Once he was in, he said, he felt like an emperor reigning in hell. What a wanker. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Funny you should say that, Barney, uh, (laughs) because compared to what's to come, that was just like really down to earth. (laughs) Oh, sweet. Bring it on. I will. Come at me, Nico. Come at me. (laughs) I'm going to come at you hard. Bring it on, Nico. He'd regularly break into mausoleums during the day and stay there until the cemetery closed at night. He then had the run of the cemetery to himself to do whatever the fuck he wanted. After he'd like lurked around to his heart's content, doing the thriller dance and the monster mash and drinking red cordial out of goblets, he became itchy for new adventures. Ah, itchy. Mmm, grave robbing, sexy corpse mutilating adventures. Ooh. He'd pack a crowbar, a pair of pliers, a screwdriver and some surgical gloves and black candles because, of course, they're black, uh, in a backpack. A My Little Pony backpack? Well, I mean, if, if the backpack fits... Then he'd catch a train to Passy Cemetery, which was a small Gothic graveyard with plenty of huge 19th century mausoleums. He had a special mausoleum in mind for what he had planned. Ooh. It was the burial site of a family of Russian immigrants from the 1917 revolution, which was located in the heart of the cemetery. It had damp walls and was pitch dark inside. Lucky he bought those black candles, huh? Was it dank? It was so dank. It was the dankest mausoleum you could possibly find. Right. For over an hour, Nico struggled to remove one of the coffins from its stone casing. The casket was solid oak and appeared to be brand new, so our ghoulish mate was expecting to find a nice, fresh body inside. When he opened the coffin, he was overwhelmed by the intense stench of putrefaction and embalming fluid. When he saw the body inside, though, he was disappointed to discover it was a half-decayed old woman. Oh, don't you hate that? Oh, it's the worst, man. Yeah, though it was dank. That's that's something. Oh, it was so dank. I'm going to let Nico tell us what happened next, okay? So he said, Her face seemed to be smeared with oil, but it was simply the death fluids oozing from her skin. The stench was so intense that I nearly fainted. The teeth were protruding from the mouth, but her eyes were gone. (laughs) (laughs) I stared into the empty eye sockets, and all of a sudden something broke in my mind. I felt like I was falling into a whirlwind. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, this is... Are you enjoying my Nico voice? (laughs) What a toss pot. That's when I picked up a screwdriver. I began to stab the belly, the rib area and the shoulders. I stabbed her at least 50 times and my forearms were covered with corpse slime. Good God. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Are you liking it so far? I am. It's pretty intense, eh? After the satisfaction of desecrating his first grave, Nico said that he spent much of his time searching the cemetery for shiny new graves to invade and fresher bodies to stab. 
When he was 20, Nico joined the military, but after a year, he was over it and decided he'd rather be a mortician. But there was only one school in the area that taught embalming, and they refused his application. Oh, no. I guess in the section of the form that asks why he wanted to study the art of corpse preparation, he shouldn't have written, I heart stabbing dead bodies, lol. Well, hindsight is twenty twenty, mm-hmm. isn't it? He shouldn't have written that. Can't get into embalming school. What's a ghoul to do? I know. Go work at a children's hospital. If only they were as picky as the embalming college. Oh, this is not going to end well. None of our stories end well. In 1993, Nico began working as a morgue attendant at St. Vincent de Paul Hospital in Paris as he found that it was the best way to be in contact with fresh corpses. The first autopsy he assisted on was of a 10-year-old girl and he marvelled at how red her internal organs were. For reasons unknown but easy enough to imagine, Nico didn't last long at the children's hospital. In December 1993, he took a position as a morgue attendant at another Paris hospital called St. Joseph. Nico's new job involved helping with autopsies and prepping bodies for services. It's like the guy was getting paid to win the lottery at this oh, point. Oh, yeah, he'd be happy about this, oh, wouldn't he? He was thrilled. He lit some black candles and danced around. The morgue attendants helped with autopsies by performing the Y-shaped incisions, cutting the ribs at the joints and opening the skull with an electric saw. The pathologists would dissect the organs and put them in a box, leaving the attendants alone with the bodies to stitch them up. Let the good times roll. Mm, Pretty much. Nico said, This is when I began eating strips of muscles from the bodies. This was something I had always dreamed of doing, and it was the opportunity to do it on a regular basis. Sometimes I bought selected meats home with me to be cooked, but my preference was to eat them raw. It tasted like tartar steak. The big muscles of the thighs and back were good, but there was no good meat in the breast, only fats. You hear that, Barney? Don't eat the tits, they're shit. Ah, shit tits. Hey, Kelly. When asked how he felt the first time he ate human flesh, Nico replied, I said to myself, wow, now I'm a cannibal. Cool. He also added, it feels like touching the face of God. It makes you feel like you don't belong to the human race anymore. I mean, I have my suspicions he never belonged in the first place, but okay. God, he's got his hand on it, hasn't he? He's got both hands on it. Another of Nico's duties at St. Joseph Hospital involved delivering blood bags from the hospital's blood bank to the surgery rooms. Ah, blood bag boy. That's him. That's a job to keep. (laughs) My name is Blood Bag Boy. Pleased to meet you. Uh, He'd rip the stickers off some of the unused bags so they looked like they'd been opened and then hide them in his locker. Oh, yeah, that's what uh, blood bag boys do sometimes. The bad ones. They are bad blood bag boys. Bad blood bag boy. (laughs) You're a bad blood bag boy. At the end of the shift, he'd put the bags in his My Little Pony backpack, take them home and put them in his fridge. It's one of the great joys of living alone, being able to store your blood bags wherever the hell you want. Oh, those were the good old days. Oh, the brilliant days. I mean, now I live with a partner, I have to keep them in just one section of the fridge. Hey, Tara, your blood bags are touching my yogurt. Oh, I know. See what I have to put (laughs) up with now? Oh... 
Once they were icy cold, he'd mix the blood with protein powder and drink it. Sometimes he'd also add a cheeky pinch of ashes stolen from the cemetery. Nice one, suburban Nosferatu. Oh, yummy. It's the ultimate strawberry milkshake. <laughs> Oh my God, it is the ultimate strawberry milkshake. It really is. <laughs> That's what they're trying to recreate when they drink them. I get it now. It all makes so much sense. On October 4th, 1994, our ghoulish mate Nico decided he'd had enough of pansy arson around cemeteries and hospitals and it was time for him to actually start murdering people. Well, there does come a time in every vampire's life where they need to start thinking. It's just well, practical, right. you know. He wasn't too fussed about who he killed either. He was open to people of any gender, age or race. Um, they just had to have a pulse that he could take from them. Hmm, diversity. Hmm, I like to see yeah. that. There's equal employment opportunities available here. Being an early adapter of technology, Nico decided to look for a victim on the Minitel, which was a videotech's online service accessible through phone lines. So it was sort of a precursor to the internet. And of course, it was used by people to hook up. Of course. Nico said, Back then it was a common practice in the gay community to meet on Minitel. I found out that it was an easy way for me to kill them without any witnesses. Nico wasn't homosexual, though. Of his sexual predilections, he has said, I like girls who kill. There should be more of them. <laughs> can't argue with that logic. Oh, no, I'm kind of high-fiving him for that. A 34-year-old man named Terry Bissonnier had the misfortune of meeting Nico online. He was a restaurateur and classical musician who was in a long-term relationship with an older man. But they were allowed to have a little snack on the side. Yeah. Nico and Terry got to chatting about how awesome S&M is and decided to meet up at Terry's house that day at 12pm. S&M. Strawberry milkshake. <gasps> S&M stands for strawberry milkshake. No wonder I'm not super into it. <laughs> <laughs> Why did it take us so long to realise that either? I know. Jesus. It's a learning day today, isn't it? It really is. Nico knocked on Terry's door and told him the fake name that he'd used on Minitel. Probably like, hi, it's Vampire King here. Hidden under his jacket, Nico had bought a single shot twenty two caliber handgun with him. He didn't pussyfoot around and pulled the gun on Terry while he was still closing the door behind him. Ooh. So I'm going to actually let Nico tell you what happened next. Ooh. I looked at his face just as he turned his head toward me and saw the gun pointed at his eye. After a few awkward moments passed, I pulled the trigger. He instantly fell face down without a word. It was really eerie. It all happened like in slow motion. Then I watched him bleed on the carpet. Oh, he's a creepy motherfucker, oh, isn't he's he? he's the creepiest motherfucker. After the shooting, Nico decided to survey the contents of Terry's studio apartment to see if there was anything worth pinching. But he was distracted. Nico explains why. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, nothing good starts with Nico explains why, does it? No. When I returned to where he was lying, I observed that he was still moving and making horrible breathing noises on the floor, like if he was breathing through a straw. I reloaded the gun and shot again, this time striking him in the back of the head. I reloaded and fired a few more times, but he was still alive and making noise. I was surprised that he was still holding on. I had expected the first shot to kill him. Low caliber pistol. Yeah, I mean, grow a brain. No. Nico then went into the kitchen and rifled around for some snacks. 
It seems that shooting innocent people for no reason really works up an appetite. I'm thinking Pop-Tarts. Nah, he settled on some cookies and then he sat in the corner eating cookies while watching Terry struggle to breathe. This got boring pretty quickly, so he shot him again, this time in the back, and then smashed a large pot plant over the poor guy's head. I mean, this is all just appalling. The Edward Cullen of Paris wiped his glittery fingerprints off the surfaces he'd touched and grabbed Terry's checkbook, credit card, wallet, driver's licence, alarm clock and an answering machine before fleeing the scene. Anne Rice is listening to this right now, shaking her head and muttering to herself, this is no way for a vampire to behave. It really isn't. It really isn't. When asked why he chose a homosexual man to murder, Nico said, here we go, Queens were an easy prey, but the bad side was that I couldn't mutilate them and eat some of their meat because I don't like to touch men. They have diseases. Lesbians are okay. He's not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Lesbians are okay. I mean, I'll thank you for, like, affirming that for all the lesbians out there, Nico. Terry Bissonnier's corpse lay dead on the floor of his apartment for three whole days. In a devastating turn of events, unable to contact their son, his concerned parents went to his apartment and discovered his dead body. Oh, that must have been really awful for them. Uh, Well, I mean, for a parent, it's just the worst thing that you could imagine. Investigator Gilbert Thiel was one of the first to arrive on the scene. He had investigated seven murders of homosexual men in startlingly similar circumstances in the past month and was trying to ascertain if this was the work of a serial killer. Terry's autopsy revealed that the first bullet had entered his eyeball and stopped just shy of the brain. The following rounds crushed against his skull, except one which only slightly penetrated the brain. The final shot entered through his back and pierced his heart, so that was the bullet that actually killed him. Since he wasn't linked to the victim, Nico might have gotten away with Terry's murder if he hadn't been a greedy dickweed. A couple of weeks after the murder, he forged one of Terry's checks to buy a VCR. When the shop assistant asked him for ID, Nico gave them Terry's driver's license, which he'd customised by putting his own picture on it. Oh, remember when you did that to me? You stuck a picture of Stice Stallone on my license? <laughs> yeah, um, a group of friends and I used to do that to everyone. <laughs> that was a long con because you had to wait weeks for that for me actually, to even notice I it. I forgot I'd done it. And uh, actually, I was hocking some games at GameStop and and or EB Games or whatever. And the guy went, this isn't you, when I had to pull my license out. I went, what the fuck? And, and I'd noticed you'd stuck it on with blue tape. Yeah, it was a magazine cutout I'd put on with blue You could just easily rip it off. I did. You? I did at the time. <laughs> oh, I forgot about it. I was so happy when you like you, sort of vaguely, yeah. angrily confronted me about it. But you couldn't stop laughing either because you oh, thought yeah. it was funny. No, look, that, it, was, it was solid. Well done. It, it's actually a good game to play to just like blue tack some weird picture onto someone's ID. I recommend people do it more. When the clerk compared the signatures, he noticed that they didn't match. So Nico scampered from the scene, unsure how he was going to manage to watch a VHS copy of Leprechaun now. Oh, that's a great movie. Oh, Jennifer Aniston's finest work. Oh, I, I, I would agree with that. On November 15th, 1994, Nico was arrested outside the Moulin Rouge cabaret following a heated argument with a woman. 
They'd probably both tried to do their hair like Gary Oldman's like intricate coif in Dracula and got into an altercation over who was wearing it better. Makes sense. It's a pretty sweet haircut. It's better than a Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> <laughs> While in custody, police recognised Nico from the photo of himself that he'd stuck on Terry's driver's licence. Of Stice Stallone. Of Stice Stallone that he'd stuck on. Yeah. When crime scene investigators searched Nico's apartment, they found a twenty-two caliber handgun under his bed. Nico had quite the knack for interior decoration and said that he had hung vertebrae and leg bones from the ceiling like morbid mobiles and scattered pieces of human bones and teeth around like loose change. He also said that he had jars of human ashes on top of his TV and a collection of slasher and S&M movies... Strawberry milkshake videos. Oh, hardcore. <laughs> well, hey, hardcore. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the ballistic test results on the 22 came back quickly. After the police confronted Nico with the evidence, he confessed to Terry's murder. Nico has claimed that when investigators searched his crypt, they were freaked out by all the human bones scattered around his apartment and the fridge full of blood bags from Blood Bag Boy. <laughs> When asked what, what was with the blood bags, Nico said that he told them, I have been robbing the graves of several Parisian Gothic graveyards and mutilating the mummified remains. When asked the reason why I was storing stolen blood bags inside my refrigerator, I simply answered that I drank the blood on a regular basis. S&M, strawberry milkshakes. Oh, yep, that's it. For the two years he was in remand, a court-ordered team of psychiatrists and psychologists examined Nico. He was diagnosed as having borderline personality disorder and being a sexual sadist who was into necrophilia. None of these diagnoses would have interfered with his control of his actions, though. Like, they're not something that's going to give you a light sentence. No, he knows the difference between right and wrong. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, he just, just into anyway. wrong shit, yeah. Yeah. Although he initially told authorities the motive for Terry's murder was robbery, Nico realised that he could benefit from a diminished responsibility plea and so he like totally changed his story. He said that he'd had an argument with a homosexual in a cemetery about whose territory it was on the morning before the murder and decided to get revenge by contacting a homosexual on the Minitel to scare him because every homosexual is related and if you like hurt one it hurts the uh, what like ugh, logic there is none no there's none nico said that his explanation made the psychiatrist happy and they granted him diminished responsibility nico's trial began on may 9th 1997 he entered a plea of not guilty during the prosecution's opening the jury was shown shocking photos of the crime scene and of nico's gross apartment the prosecution said that nico had committed premeditated murder and presented the jury with a list of stolen items he'd taken during the crime. They also pointed out the use of the forged licence and the forged cheque and the falsifying of Terry's signature, which was all fair enough. But then they attempted to establish that Terry's murder was one in a series which had taken place in Paris during 1994. The prosecution called Nico a death addict and a real-life vampire. He probably thanked them for that. The main testimony in their serial murders theory came from two of the leading investigators on this case. One testified that even though there was no solid evidence against Nico, he happened to fit the psychological profile of a serial murderer and a wanker. 
And the other said that witnesses in bars where the murder victims hung out had recognised Nico as also being there at the same time. Oh, I recognise him. He's a bit of a prick. <laughs> He's a total wanker. Loves strawberry milkshakes. So, like, there was nowhere near enough physical evidence to back up the prosecution's whole serial killer theory. No? No, there wasn't any. It was, a bit of a, it was a bit of a reach. Yeah, it was a total reach. Bit of a stretch. Yeah. Mm. Um, so they focused on Terry's murder. Jurors deliberated for only three hours before finding Nico Klaus guilty of premeditated murder, armed robbery, fraudulent use of a bank check, falsification of a driver's licence photo, and an attempt to defraud the seller of the video camera. He was sentenced to 12 years in prison, which is so light. That is very light. Premeditated murder? Well, he did get the diminished responsibility in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (sighs) Nico was never convicted of grave robbery or stealing bags of blood. Now, Dr. Park Dietz... Yay. Yay, Pac Dietz. Yeah, he's really cool. He's a forensic psychiatrist who has consulted or testified in many of the highest profile US criminal cases, um, including Jeffrey Dahmer's. And he has a theory about cannibalism Ooh. that I think is really interesting. He said a motivation could be a desire to take a life of crime to an ultimate level. Cannibalism is beyond the pale, the last frontier of being a bad boy. After only serving seven years and four months of his 12-year sentence, this bad boy was released from prison on March 22, 2002. In the court documents of the case, there's no mention of grave robbing, necrophilia, vampirism or cannibalism. Um, Also, the press didn't write anything about that either. So it's actually pretty much likely that the ghoul just made this shit up to sound creepier than thou. And it worked. Hmm. Being entirely predictable, Nico took up painting while in prison. So what do you think he likes to paint, Barney? Hmm, bums? <laughs> Almost. Serial killers. Oh, it's got a crack in it. Serial killers bums. Um, so original. His stories about desecrating graves, drinking blood and cannibalism also got him television and magazine interviews, which further boosted his gross celebrity status. So this allows him now to lead a charmed life, travelling around Europe, selling his, like, artwork. Hey, you showed me those paintings, Mm -hmm. though, on his website uh, earlier today. and they're Basic. They're pretty shit. They're paintings of photographs. They're paintings of photographs. He's a tracer. Oh, yeah. They're just kind of like, you know, yawn. They're not that expensive. 350 bucks. Get your own. No, they're shit. If I wanted shit out, I'd make it myself. (laughs) You know what else, though? He has a message for us. Would you like me to share it? It's especially for the ladies. But it starts off for everyone in society. Okay. I'm going to do it. People who smoke, do drugs, eat junk food and drink alcohol. You are slowly poisoning your blood. You draw the vileness into your lungs. You have no respect for your own body and flesh. I saw many of you lying on the slab. You make me feel sick. Your body is a walking trash can and your meat disgusts me. This is especially aimed at the girls. Do some sports, quit smoking, go on a protein diet and take care of your arteries. You will feel a lot sexier. Well, he's not going to eat you, Tara. Excuse me? What? You have a drink and stuff? I 
I eat a lot of protein and I do exercise. Also, but I don't want him to eat me. Why am I getting offended that this guy probably won't try to no, eat my no, corpse? No, he's not going to eat me. I'm a dirty man full of diseases. Yeah, he's not even going to bother desecrating yours, is he? No, I guess not. Mm-mm. I'm all right with that. Yeah, no, I kind of, kind of realised I'm fine with it too. <sighs> I have questions. Yeah. Do you think that he killed anybody else or he no, got caught at no. his first? No, no, he's really disorganised and just wanky. So he could have been a serial killer, but he was sloppy and he got caught at his first kill. I think so, but it's interesting. Um, yeah. If you read interviews with him now, when they ask him if he killed anyone, he says no, but then he alludes to somehow being a mass murderer and talks about murders in plural that he's done. So I feel like he's got one side of his ass on one side of the fence and one side on the other and the fence is right up there in the middle. Yeah, right. That's my theory on Nico Klaus. Hmm. Well, it's a cracker of a tale. Thank you for telling that. <laughs> You're he's, um, welcome. Awful shit. I know. I get a feeling he's going to listen to the episode and email us. I just really have a strong feeling. Looking forward to it, Nico. Yeah. Come at me, Nico. Yeah. Come at me. Tell yeah. me how disgusting I am inside. Your paintings are shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, Barney. What time is it? It's true crime nerd time. Oh, I'm so thirsty for toilet wine. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itch. Are you itchy, Tara? I am giving you my best. You just threw out my favourite spatula look right now, Barney. Oh, I hate that. Mm-hmm. But you deserve it. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it, and we'll read it out. Now, we haven't been getting a lot of these uh, sent to us lately. <laughs> we definitely have So we've decided to open it up, and it can be fictional crime yeah, too. Yeah, things that are sort of based on a true crime in a way. Yeah, we've yeah. opened it up a bit. We have one here from Gary Smith. <laughs> Gary, we love Gary. And he writes, Hey guys, I thought I'd contribute a little something to True Crime Nerd Time. And it's about a film. And the film is called The Interview. Not to be confused with that Seth Rogen oh, piece no, of shit. Oh, no, the Franco crap. No, no. Yeah. Um, this is an Aussie movie uh, starring Hugo Weaving and Tony Martin. That's right. Gary writes, if you're anything like me, you spent hours searching Netflix for something to tickle your crime fancy. I was deep in the obscure sections, like we are oh, all are. <laughs> well, I mean, I can only see half my wrist because my whole hand's deep in the obscure section right now. Oh, Tara. <laughs> Stop being, stop being so Tara. Uh, what the hell? Oh, oh no, no. the fuck else should oh, I be? Oh, sorry. Uh, more Tara. No. You're not enough Tara. Nah. Mm, too much Tara. It's always too much. Too much. Tara. There's never not enough Tara. That's not a thing people say. Well, Gary writes, he was deep in the obscure sections. <laughs> Up to his elbow, I believe. When he found the interview, and I was blown away, he writes. While it's a fictional account, it's one of those movies that accurately portrays the interview process and the interrogation techniques that police all over the world use to get a confession. The writers do an awesome job of not only playing cat and mouse between the main characters, but also with your perceptions and preconceived notions about the story. It's a real roller coaster of a watch. It and is. It, and if you like me, you'll be left wishing it was at least an hour longer. Also, Hugo Weaving is a national fucking treasure. Damn straight. Damn straight. 
Find it, download it, watch it, and remember, you're never as smart as you think you are. Oh, God, I must be so dumb then. I'm the opposite of that. I'm what? never as dumb as I think I am. Actually, yeah, that's more me too. <laughs> I tend to be like, Tara, you fucking idiot. So we absolutely agree with you, Gary. Yeah. I, I actually found this, um, what The Guardian said about this film recently. Okay. Oh, The Guardian. Yes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> the Guardian. Hugo Weaving is blisteringly good in one of his best but most underseen roles, a man hauled into the cop shop for crimes he may or may not have committed. Like any national cinema, the history of Australian film is littered with terrific works that for one reason or another never connected with a wide or even cult audience. Near the top of the greatest Aussie films you've probably never heard of is the 1998 feature of director Craig Monaghan, a superb cat-and-mouse thriller between a did-he or didn't-he suspect, Hugo Weaving, and an alpha male detective, Tony Martin. Tony Martin should get more work. Oh, my God, he is Brilliant. He was in Blue Murder. Um, that was the, the played, original one, the miniseries about um, our mate. Uh, Roger Rogerson. Roger, Roger, I was thinking Robert Robertson. By the way, he's in the other one too, um, playing Nettie Smith. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Right. He's fucking brilliant. The Guardian go on to write, The interview is Australia's answer to the usual suspects. A twisted mystery built around a protracted conversation and an elusive protagonist who was integral in both driving and complicating the narrative. In a career marked by jaw-dropping performances, this film features one of the very best and most criminally underseen roles of Hugo Weaving. Yeah, I'll second that. When I watched this film in 1998, I was reading um, Kafka's The Trial. Oh, yeah. Which he wrote like in 1912 or something, yeah, but it didn't come out until after he died. Yeah, that's my recollection too. And um, the character was called Joseph Kay and he's he gets hauled in mm. and, you, and you never know uh, what crime he's being pulled in for or whether he did it or he didn't it's just the interrogation yeah yeah yeah. it yeah. sort of exists in its own universe yeah it's fascinating stuff yeah well thank you gary for bringing um that movie to our attention the interview i think i'm gonna do a rewatch of that i think i might too and no. so yeah the aussie one yeah Hugo Starring weaving, Hugo weaving. <laughs> he's, he's not just Megatron. no nor is he just um that guy yeah. in the matrix who's evil mr anderson that's the guy agent smith Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, Barney Black. I believe it's time that you got murdery. John Frederick Hayes was born in the Sydney suburb of Paddington on September 7th, 1911 the son of unmarried Elizabeth Hayes, who was a sex worker and petty criminal. When he was born, his father was working in the country as a ring barker and was rarely home. Okay, so that's to do with felling trees and things, yeah? Yeah, yeah, lumberjack, basically. In 1914, World War I broke out and his father joined the Light Horsemen and went off to fight. Freddie, as he was known then, moved into a house in the roughest gut suburb of Glebe, down near the railway tracks with his mother and grandparents. 
Yeah, Glebe was a very different place in, in yeah, those days. Yeah, I actually lived there 20 years ago and it was a little bit fancy. Yeah, it's a bit fancy now. No, yeah. it was uh, the wrong side of the tracks in those days. Right. A lot of places that are a bit fancy now were the wrong mm. side of the tracks back then. A gentrified. Mm, that's the word. Mm. He was close to his grandfather, but he died of the bubonic plague in 1920 when Freddie was eight. I guess he didn't get vaccinated. No, but you know what? I probably didn't get autism. That's right. He didn't die of autism, did he? No. <laughs> uh-uh. The plague. The plague, the plague. No autism whatsoever. Oh, vaccinations. They're all rubbish, aren't they? I just like, I don't know, man. It's so, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> uh, look, it's just a joke. Get your kids vaccinated. It's the right thing to do. Two years before, in 1918, the war had ended, but his father was still in a veterans hospital for shell shock. Okay, so, I mean, to me that means that he's, like, still still there in his mind and he can hear the shells going behind him and he's clutching his head. Well, yeah, it's PTSD. Yeah, I guess they didn't have that term back then. That's right. With no father figure in his life, little Freddie was a bit of a tearaway. He even hit out and attacked another child. The boy responded with insults, calling him a dirty chow, thinking Freddie was of Asian descent. Right, but he isn't, is he? He's got... Almond eyes, I guess. Uh, yes. I looked at a picture of him. He's like not even as almond-eyed as Keanu Reeves. Like, yeah. But, you know, kids are just trying to find something to call you that they think's offensive at well, the time. Well, anyway, Tara, the nickname stuck and Freddie would now be referred to as Chow for the remainder of his life. <laughs> I love Australia. <laughs> well, yeah, casual racism. It wasn't uh, even casual then. It wasn't. It was formal racism. Do you know how many like people of our grandparents' age had a black cat or dog, and it was named the N word? Yeah, that's they right. They used to actually that was a popular name. Neville. For, Neville. They actually used to call animals Neville. I mean, you know, shudder to think these days. Thank God, but still, Neville. Ooh, not a word I can say. Well, Chow, the artist formerly known as Freddie, <laughs> rarely attended school and left a little after his eighth birthday. Well, that's oh, enough school, isn't it? To eight. I mean, anything you learn after eight is mostly decorative. He soon earned a living as a newspaper seller in the area of the city around Central Railway Station known as Railway Square. The First World War decimated the male population of Australia. At the start of the war, Australia's population was just five million. 417,000 men were enlisted, over 60,000 were killed, and 156,000 were wounded or taken prisoner. Wow. That's a lot of people, considering a 5 million population. Massive. And also, uh, by the way, not just here, like a lot of countries. Yeah. Well, Chow's father was one of the thousands of soldiers who returned to Australia physically and mentally scarred by the horrors of war. Chow was about 11 by the time he got to see his father in hospital. It was not the reunion he imagined. His father was screaming at nothing and wearing a straitjacket. Oh, man. It must have been an horrific experience for Chow. This was his only memory of his father. It wasn't long before Chow slipped into petty crime, shoplifting all around town. He was caught for truancy on a number of occasions and was sent to a boys' reformatory. See, they didn't want to charge him with crimes because he was a minor. So what they get they get them for was truancy. Yeah, they go to teenager jail. Teenager even jail. Even if they're not teenagers. Yeah, I threaten my kids with teenager jail all the time. I know, and they're like, yeah, bring it on, fat mm. boy. <laughs> <laughs> they call me that. Not yet. <laughs> they haven't thought of it yet. It was more of an education than a punishment. 
It's at reformatories where he learned everything he could about crime. Yeah. It's essentially villain university. <laughs> yeah. He had his first major conviction at age 15, seven months for shoplifting 18 shirts and spitting on the policeman who arrested him, Mad Digger Tui. Oh, Mad Digger Tui hates being spat at. <laughs> well, who does? Oh, being, oh, some people are into it. Yeah. No one I know, but some people. Yeah, loves to get spat on Johnson. He loves yeah. it. <laughs> Spit on my face, Johnson. He's so into it. He'll even like send you a personal invitation in calligraphy. Oh, I love calligraphy. Do you? So, Chow, as a teenager, he became involved with gang-related crime in and around his local area, namely petty theft and assault. Punching dudes. And stealing shit. And stealing shit. Chow was a major player in the Sydney Razor Gang Wars of the late 1920s and 1930s and was known to police as an extremely violent person. Okay, so were they called the Razor Gang because they used to fuck people's shit up with razors? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. aptly titled. Yeah, well, they didn't want to carry guns because they were really expensive and it, it meant an automatic jail sentence. Oh, okay. So they would just slice people up. They were also very easy to conceal. You could put it in your sock, in your hat. Up your ass. I know, um, but then, like, just if, you pull get, it out. if you get caught, you're just like, oh, yeah, I just was shaving. I was shaving. Yeah, you, yeah that's, that's right. That's why I had it. I mean, look at my ball sack. Have you ever seen anything more hairless? It's quite impressive. Mm. In fact, it's it's taking my breath away. It's breathtaking. <gasps> did you hear that? Mm-hmm, there it went. That was my breath. Yeah, I'm going to say. About your ball sack. My, Tara, no. My put nads, it away. Oh, they're smooth as a baby's bottom. Put your balls away, Tara. No. I'm going to put them on the table for the rest of the recording. And you're going to like it. (laughs) (laughs) By the time he turned 18, he had 14 charges to his name from riotous behaviour to not paying for drinks to breaking and entering and demanding money by menace and assault. He soon gained a reputation as a tough street fighter and someone who wouldn't back down. Oh, just like you. Like that Tom Petty song. Oh, just like Tom Petty. Chow Hayes found love and was married on December 23, 1932 to his childhood sweetheart and squarehead, Gladys Muriel King, known as Topsy. Oh, after the elephant. After the electrocuted elephant. Oh, Her name was Topsy. Wow, okay. She's quite pretty, actually. Yeah, well, so was the elephant. Well, if you're another elephant, maybe. I think Topsy was a beautiful elephant. Well, it's your opinion, I guess. Yeah. Chow believed that society was divided into square heads, those who upheld the law, went to church, had regular jobs, and the criminal class. People like him. Right, so he was punching above his weight a bit, huh? Yeah, he was proud of Topsy. He and Topsy had four children. Later in life, his wife and two of his children died while he was in prison. Hmm. At 28, he was an up-and-comer on the gangster scene with enough of a reputation to be able to bash notorious razor man and killer Frank Green with an iron bar and get away with it. So him and Frank Green were at a party, him and Chow, and Frank Green came up to Chow and said, are you looking at my girl? And Chow says, no. I got Topsy at home. I got Topsy at home. Why would I? Yeah. But Chow waited outside. Oh, just because like Frank thought he was looking at his girl. Well, he slighted him in front of his mates. Oh, well, that's that's unacceptable. As soon as he came out the door, hit him with an iron bar. Oh, Jesus. And while he was on the ground, laid a few kicks in. That seems a little excessive. Frank Green was in hospital for four months. Oh, my God. Nearly killed him. You just wouldn't even talk to Chow, would you? 
And that story got around, and that's where the reputation starts. Oh, so that actually, like, helped him in his career. That's right. Eventually, guns came into play for Chow. If he was going to pursue a successful standover career, he was going to need more than a razor. Yeah, okay. His first line of gun work was as an enforcer for two-up games. Ah, two-up. That's Aussie as, mate. Two-up is an old-school Australian gambling game with a where a designated spinner throws two coins into the air, players bet whether the coins will fall with both heads up, both tails up, or with one coin a head and the other a tail. Mm -hmm. It's still a game played today. Yeah, when do they they do it on... Anzac Day. Yeah, Anzac Day, right. Okay, when we remember the fallen. That's right. Chow and others will be employed as security for the game and would let potential troublemakers know that if they fuck with them, there will be much more trouble. Yeah, more trouble than you're bringing, troublemaker. <laughs> in 1938, he shot dead Henry Jack Baker. This is a big deal. He was the de facto partner of Sydney crime czar Kate Lee. But Chow was a slippery sucker and escaped prosecution and retribution. Wow, I thought Kate Lee would have got a, her goons to do him in. Well, he had this reputation as a hard man. No one wanted to come ah, at him. Ah, he's untouchable. In January 1939, with a history of 70 convictions, Chow was fined five pounds for throwing coffee over the proprietor of a Glebe hamburger shop who refused to serve him. Oh, that's probably the least violent thing he did. <laughs> At Glebe Police Court, Detective Corcoran described the MO of Chow and his associates. They hunt in packs at night and create a reign of terror in parts of Glebe. He's not wrong. In February 1939, police sergeants were called to Telford Street where shots had been fired and discovered a drunken chow with a bullet wound in his chest. He was taken to RPA Hospital, where he told Glebe's Detective Constable Ray the Blizzard Blizzard <laughs> that he'd been hit by Father Christmas. Oh, Santa did it. Nice one, chow. Chow hated the Jacks and would never rat, even on an enemy. Prepared for surgery and wearing only a hospital gown, Chow was left unattended. He climbed out the window, rang his mate, Kicker Kelly, from a public phone box and was picked up and taken to Dr. George, a dodgy criminal quack who removed the bullet while Chow's mate Kelly went off to pick him up a fresh suit. Oh, and then back to business, I guess. And then back to business, punching dudes. Yeah, stealing shit. Stealing shit. Yeah. Chow's crimes included consorting, theft, break and enter, resisting arrest, demanding money with menace, riotous behaviour, indecent language... Oh, fuck that. Fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) Armed robbery, occasioning bodily harm, assaulting police, evading taxi fares, and, of course, murder. Oh, my God, it would be shorter to read out the crimes he didn't commit. Chow reveled in his gangster lifestyle. During one violent incident at Tyler Square where Chow shot dead a rival bad guy, a bloke selling newspapers was the only witness to it. Afterwards, Chow walked straight over to him, and looked at him with his cold, dead eyes for a moment, and then bought a newspaper off him. He paid twenty pounds for that newspaper. <laughs> oh, this will pay for your bad eyesight. Because uh, <sighs> he didn't see nothing. No, I don't see nothing. Nothing at all. In nineteen forty-five, he shot and killed a fellow Sydney gangster named Eddie Wayman, shooting him five times as he lay in his bed. He was found not guilty at trial, although in a later biography, Chow admitted that he had indeed killed Wayman. Wayman had been part of Chow's wider gang involved in what was called the Cabbage Leaf Racket, 
Basically, this involves substituting dried and shredded cabbage for tobacco and fake cigarettes. Oh, that wouldn't smoke well. And then selling them around town to visiting troops in Sydney during the war. The gang was making up to £10,000 a week. Career opportunity? That was, would have been an enormous amount of cash in the 40s. Damn. Wayman had been skimming some off the top for himself, and Chow found out. Chow acted on New Year's Eve, slipping out of a party, shooting Wayman and returning to the party before anyone noticed. Classic move. Incidents like this were reported widely in the national media and Chow Hay's hard reputation spread. Like grandma butter. <laughs> Easily and far. Ah, and tasty. Mmm, mm, grandma butter. One of his most infamous deeds was the murder of Bobby Lee in 1951. Lee was an ex-boxer who had argued with Chow and some of the members of his gang. Lee knew that Chow was gunning for him, so he decided to get in first. Lee went to Chow's home and shot and killed his nephew, Danny Simmons, in a stupid case of mistaken identity. Chow was supposed to be at home that night, just listening to the wireless, but he had gone out, leaving his nephew, Danny Simmons, to the radio. While Danny was sitting in the lounge room, Bobby Lee snuck up and shot him through a window, believing he was Chow. Over the next couple of weeks, Chow and his gang began raiding Bobby Lee's haunts to try and track him down and give him what for. Word got around about the raids and Bobby Lee was in hiding, but Bobby Lee wanted to head down to the Ziegfeld nightclub. He heard they had a new bird from the Philippines. You'd never pick her as a fella. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Bobby didn't think that Chow would find out And even if he did Surely he wouldn't have the balls to knock a guy in front of a hundred people Oh really? But Chow did find out And he had balls the size of really big balls <laughs> Valtara There was one small problem Chow made the mistake of telling his wife Topsy That he was going to the Ziegfeld room And she said Sure baby I'd love to go dancing Oh what? <laughs> And, of course, he couldn't say no to Topsy. No, no one says no to Topsy. And he wasn't in a position to say, well, I'm not going down there to have a tango. I'm going down there to blast this fucker. (laughs) When they arrived at the Ziegfeld Club, it was packed. The grog was flying, there was dancing, and the room was filled with a haze of cigarette smoke. But dead-eyed Chow immediately saw that Bobby Lee was at a table down by the stage. Bobby Lee wanted a good view of the ladyboys. As soon as Bobby Lee saw Chow at the bar, the colour drained from his chubby face. He soon surrounded himself with people at the table, thinking this would keep him safe. After some reckless eyeballing for about an hour, Chow thought, fuck it, and he strode over to Bobby <laughs> Lee's table. Bobby, sweating bullets, said something like, Oh, no, you're not going to do anything when we're sitting in a room full of people. Chow said, you're going to fucking get yours, and pulled out his Colt forty-five and shot him three times in the head. Apparently the force of the impact threw him ten feet back off his chair. There was blood everywhere and people were screaming. Chow then very calmly walked around, stood over the top of him and pumped a few more bullets into his head. Chow went on the run but was captured six weeks later. However, Every one of the 100-plus patrons at the Ziegfeld Club were looking the other way, and not one witness came forward to identify him as a killer. Wow, it's almost like everyone had terrible eyesight back then. That's right. But authorities were determined to finally see Chow off the streets. 
There were two mistrials before Chow finally pleaded guilty. He did so only because he feared his square-head wife Topsy would be charged with being an accessory to the murder. During sentencing, a list of 90 prior convictions were read out to a noisy courtroom. <laughs> that would have taken a while. It would have taken a while. <laughs> Chow Hayes was sentenced to hang. But after spending six months on death row, he managed to dodge the hangman's noose when the New South Wales government took capital punishment off the books. Oh, that was a lucky break. Commuted to a life sentence, Chow would spend the next 15 years in prison. During these years, his life on the outside fell apart. His beloved wife, Topsy, who had witnessed him murder Bobby Lee, started to see her husband for what he was. She began to visit less frequently. Ironically, he had always been proud that his wife was a squarehead and not part of the criminal world. Chow's daughter, also named Topsy... Were all his kids named Topsy? Yeah, Topsy Jr. (laughs) Only the girls. Oh, right, okay. You had three boys too. Oh, yeah, all named Topsy. All named Topsy. Yeah. So Chow's daughter, also named Topsy, was beginning to turn her back on her father too. Chow Hayes now found himself alone in the world. His friends from the 1920s were either dead, moved on, or in prison. But for Chow, time stood still. He did find a way to keep busy, extorting other prisoners and also running his own SP bookmaking scam. Here's a tale from our old mate Chopper Reed about Chow Hayes. Oh, I bet Uncle Chop Chop has a few things to say. Russell Cox told me a story when they were together in Long Bay. Chow sent a message over that he wanted some tobacco. Coxie said, get your own bloody tobacco. (laughs) And he said, do you know who I am? And Russell said, yeah, I know who you are. Do you know who the fuck I am? (laughs) Oh, I don't give a fuck who you are, son. He said, just give me some tobacco. And Russell said, I'm not going to give you shit. I'd rather (laughs) stick it up your ass, you old bastard. You get nothing out of me. And Chow said, you better mind your manners, otherwise you'll get your head blown off. And Russell said, sitting back... You say, all right, I'll see you when you get out and you can blow my head off, you stupid old (laughs) fart. You know that's when you lost the plot when you're trying to stand over some young kids and the young kid told him to go and get fucked. That's where everyone's realised he's lost the plot. Aussie Thank you, Chopper. Chow was freed from prison under licence in the mid-1960s and was soon back to his old tricks extorting money from many of Sydney's most dangerous criminals, including crooked casino box... Box? (laughs) He was a very crooked casino box. Most of the boxes are very square-shaped and upright, but this was a crooked box. Including crooked casino boss Dick Riley and the king of Sydney's brothel business, Joe Borg. Oh, Borgie. Oh, Borgie. Such a good brothel king, weren't ya? Well, Borgie... Soon afterwards, Chow was implicated in the murder of Borgie in May 1968. (laughs) Why does this not surprise me? But the slippery fucker got away with that one too. Chow was back in jail for another seven years in 1970 for grievous bodily harm convictions when he sliced the face and arms of Gerald Hutchinson with a broken glass in a Camperdown wine bar in 1969. Hutchinson had picked up change left for the barmaid. Oh, so it wasn't taking much to set him off, was it? Yeah. Even, like, less than before. Yeah, he really cut this guy up, too. Damn, that's not cool. Not cool. Not cool, Chow. After spending over 30 years in prison at different times, Chow Hayes was released for the final time on February 14th, 1977. 
All of his ill-gotten wealth was long gone, either wasted on gambling or on expensive legal costs. He lived out the rest of his life with no criminal convictions in a flat in Lidcombe with his niece, Dolly. She's not called Topsy? Also known as Topsy. (laughs) (laughs) In the mid-1980s, Chow asked his nephew, Bob Scott, to take him to the Bankstown Trots for a bet and a beer. Chow was a compulsive gambler all his life, and over the years he lost tens of thousands of dollars on the GJs. But that didn't stop him. No, it doesn't stop any compulsive gambler. That's why they're compulsive, right? When they arrived at the trots, Chow said to his nephew, Come with me and we'll pick up some betting money. (laughs) Chow tapped about six or seven of the on-track bookies on the leg, and they looked at him and they said, How you going, Chow? Then each and every one of them turned to their bag man and said, Give Chow 50 bucks. Chow never said a word. Chow then said to his nephew, Okay, now let's go and have a bet. His nephew replied, why don't you bet with these boogies to give them a chance to get their money back? Chow said no, that would not be ethical, betting with them with their own money. (laughs) I'm glad to see that he has like a a moral compass. Yeah, some kind of twisted moral compass. (laughs) Yeah, they all do, these gangsters. It's twisted as fuck, but it's there. They then proceeded to the TAB window where Chow, at the end of the night, lost a lot. So he was an old man then. Yeah. So an elderly Chow was living in Lincoln with his niece Dolly, also known as um, Topsy. Topsy. She was not. She would cook a nice meal for him because he said the prison food was very ordinary. In prison, he would always complain about the food. Chow said the stew they served up in jail was so bad it was known amongst the inmates as Grey Death. After spending much of his life in institutions, Chow was not used to the huge range of foods that were available on the outside. He once grabbed a cheese slice out of the fridge. Dolly used to make him cheese and tomato toasted sandwiches, which were his favourite. So Chow had grabbed a slice of cheese and he was just going to eat it all by itself. He was sitting on the lounge and chewing it when he complained to Dolly, saying, These cheese slices are shit! (laughs) They all looked at him and Dolly said, You're eating a bloody plastic wrapper, stupid! He didn't know they were individually wrapped. Yeah, he wouldn't, because when he went in, it wouldn't have been the case. Now, Tara, the prison food must have been good in some way, as when Chow was released, his health went downhill. He got stuck into the junk food. He smoked a packet of the Macon's a day. That's the roll your own cigarettes. You call them Macon's because you have to make them yourself. Right, yeah. And um, he also drank 15 beers a day or more. This is when he's in his 70s. Right, okay. He never played any sport and was always overweight. However, he loved cricket and footy, but only to watch. Right. Gentlemen, I, I see. After decades in and out of prison for his crimes, Chow spent his dotage speaking publicly, revealing the bizarre code of conduct by which he lived. And you're going to love this. It's very Chopper-esque. Okay, give me. But pre-Chopper. Ah, someone's got a role model. In the late 1980s, a book about his life was written by David Hickey, named Chow Hayes Gunman. It took Hickey two years of research and interviews with Chow before it was released to much fanfare. During the book tour, ABC radio journalists recalled in horror when Chow told them about his crimes, and I've seen some footage of this. Hang on, he went on the book tour? He went on the book tour. Because if someone writes a biography of somebody, they don't normally bring the person with so them on, did, a big, on a book tour. He did TV interviews and radio interviews. <laughs> and, 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 every, and and because he had no remorse, and he just yeah. went, oh, yeah, I killed that bastard. Oh, I killed the bastard. Killed him hard. Yeah, oh, he had it coming. Oh, yeah, bled a he lot. Was, he talked like that. <laughs> oh, God. 
I shouldn't be laughing, but you know I am. Chow Hei's portrait, painted by Bill Leake, was hung in the 1991 Archibald exhibition. Oh. And uh, you've got to look it up. It's pretty yeah. amazing. While posing for the portrait, Bill Leake asked about an old injury to Chow's ear. Chow told him that in 1969, he was set upon by a group of prisoners at the Parramatta Jail and savagely bashed. Part of his ear was bitten off in the fight. Now, it actually appears in the painting, his right ear has a perfect bite shape out of it. And oh. if you see photos of him when he's older, yeah. you can see uh, like it's a... like perfect bite mark A little C out of his, his, out of his ear. Yeah. Oh, wow. He said doctors told him they could have sewn it back on, but it was too chewed up. <laughs> He also told Bill he never found out who bit it off. I know. Later, when Chow was on his deathbed, riddled with cancer, Bill Leake asked if he could do anything for him. Chow said, You know that clown I used to work with from the papers, Dave something? Chow was talking about David Hickey, who wrote his biography. Yeah. Because he worked at the City Morning Herald. Uh-huh. Um... Can you find him? He owes me a few, bub. Okay, tell that bastard if he doesn't pay me, he's got big problems. If I have to crawl out of this bed and drag myself down there to find him myself, after I've finished crawling down there, I'll fucking shoot him. Okay, so he's still like really, you know. He was dead a day later. Oh, Uh, wow. The day before he died, he was still being a massive like um, old school gangster. That's right, Tara. Chow honestly thought that the book that David wrote about him was going to be an international bestseller, and he seriously believed that David was squirrelling away millions of dollars and holding back on him. (laughs) Oh, he doesn't know much about publishing, does he? (laughs) So there's a mythology out there that psychopaths can change, uh, eventually develop a conscience or remorse. But to tell you the truth, psychopaths never desire forgiveness. Chow Hayes went to his grave completely unrepentant, Nearing his deathbed, he remarked to Bill Lake that he measured the worth of a man by the number of people at his funeral. If the cemetery was full of mourners, Chow believed the man had lived a full life and had been respected by his peers. Chow Hayes was buried in a simple ceremony in front of just five people. He might have outlived all his all, all, all of his rivals, so because <laughs> well, he killed them all. I know. Um, also, like. Oh, it, why would they go to his funeral if they're scared of him? I mean, they don't have to be scared of him anymore. Of all the times during his criminal career he could have been taken out by a bullet or beaten to death, it was smoking that finally polished him off. And he smoked right up until he died. Right, so he kind of did it himself. Chow only admitted to killing on five occasions. However, most believe that the real number is at least double that. After his long battle with cancer... Chow Hayes died in Sydney on May 7th, 1993. His cremated ashes were placed in his beloved wife Topsy's grave at Rookwood Cemetery. Aww. He is survived by a daughter, Topsy. <laughs> Junior. Okay, are you joking? No, his no, daughter, Topsy. <laughs> I feel like every one of his children was named Topsy. Yeah, I called my dog Topsy. I really like that name too. And I had a cat called Topsy. Love that cat. <laughs> Wow, okay, that's amazing. And I've never in my life heard of this guy. Listeners, you have to Google this guy, Chow Hayes. Uh, Check out some pictures of him. He's an amazing looking man. And check out that bite mark out of his ear. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have any questions, Tara? How come everyone was called Topsy? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's because. 
Reasons. It was a very common name back then, Tyler. Very, very common name back then. <laughs> Elephants, women, People. dogs, cats, pigs. They're all called Topsy in I those days. I once had a car called Topsy. Uh, I, I like to call my fella Topsy. My, my little, oh. I call my little Barney Topsy. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I've got a question for you. Oh, really? What, Why? What is Aussie as? I have no idea. Oh, go on. Tell me. Okay. Aussie as a tales of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one, Barney? If it's about Topsy. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, it's funny that you're doing that kind of voice, and it's entirely about Topsy. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get you to read one of the voices in this because there's oh, a couple, okay. and I, I'm really enjoying you. Can I do it like Chow? <laughs> uh, you know what? You you could almost do it like Chow. I, I'm pretty pretty much enjoying your Chow voice. All right, let's give it a crack. All righty, here we go. Meat pies are one of the most Aussie things ever. They're even more Aussie if you follow up eating one by slamming down a 500ml iced coffee. Sweet, right? Oh, yeah. Now, you have a skill when it comes to slamming down iced coffee, don't you, Barney? I can drink them quite fast. Yeah, you can slam them down. I don't know if it's a skill, but it's something I can do. Yeah, I actually think it's probably a problem. Bakery customer Branch Latrol. Yes, that's his name. And he's probably nicknamed Trollo, was gutted when he was recently served a cold meat pie and an expired iced coffee during his Sunday morning visit to the Howard Springs Bakery in the Northern Territory. Oh, that's un-Australian. Oh, it's just not fair dinkum. Trollo had been a loyal customer of the bakery for years, but wrote on the business's Facebook page... I'm not going back there again until they get their shit together. <laughs> That's damn straight. I've been coming to this bakery for years, and at least once a fortnight for a Sunday morning pie and ice coffee with the fam, this all stops today. Aw, sad face cold pie trollo wrote that his pies weren't warm and they had a weird royal pastry taste. As though they'd been microwaved and that his iced coffee was two whole days out of date. Oh, fuck! Now, rather than taking the criticism (laughs) well, the bakery's Facebook page decided to respond with fire and brimstone. Oh, bring it on. Oh, they called Trombo a fucking keyboard warrior. And they followed it up with, Does it make you feel like a man to post this bullshit? Get a life, you wanker. Staff make mistakes. It's life, it happens, get over it. Let me know where you work and I'll have the staff member come and review you, you gutless troll. Not nice, is it? (laughs) (laughs) i got to tell you, Barney, hell hath no fury like a baker scorned. You're damn right. Yeah, we need to get this guy to manage our social media, don't you think? (laughs) That's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, you're all a bunch of cats. Facebook users were split over whether the bakery's response was cool or not. One wrote, the review was on point and the response was a joke, won't be back. While another added, Trollo should have contacted the bakery to offer his criticism rather than writing a public review. Love the reply. It's true. Too many people can't man up and ask for a refund and bring it up in person. But Trollo isn't necessarily a troll by name and by nature, as he had earlier given Howard Springs Bakery's Nutella Donut a glowing review. Oh, they were fucking awesome. Yeah, I loved it. Oh, it was delicious. It was fucking delicious, you cunt. (laughs) Too much? (laughs) Not enough. (laughs) Tara, don't cackle into the mic. Oh, me and my wife Topsy loved them. (laughs) 
And my daughter Topsy had loved it too. And when we couldn't finish them off, I gave them to my dog Topsy. Now, if the baker ever sees Trollo again, he is going to ram one of those Nutella donuts fair up his ass, along with a steaming hot meat pie and a curdled icebreak or big M iced coffee. Mic drop. <laughs> Oh, Topsy does not appreciate a cold pie. Yeah, I didn't like that. I did like that donut. That donut was sweet. Don't even eat it, Topsy. It's not good enough for you. Alrighty, well, this brings us to the end of another episode. And by the way, this has been the most fun episode we recorded in so long. Oh, it's good to be back. Oh, it really is good to be back. We missed it. Mm. So thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons. If you'd like to support us, visit our website. If you just want to buy us a drink or a Nutella donut, there's a PayPal <laughs> donut button there too. Oh, Topsy, and appreciate it. I've been Barney Black and here's my wife, Topsy. <laughs> and I've been Topsy Saraban. <laughs> and this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on iTunes or our Facebook page. And of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Insta, and, of course, Minitel. <laughs> Is that even a thing? <laughs> Not anymore. Check out our website, Bloody Murder Podcast, for news galleries, more episodes, and merchandise. And don't forget, on the 17th of November, we're having a meet-up at the Retreat Hotel at 280 Sydney Road in Brunswick. That's at 2.30pm, and it is a Saturday. And it is a Saturday. And um, we'll be there. And we'll also have Cambo from True Crime Island, Broderick from Felon, and Sarah from Good Nightmare. Yeah. And a lot of cool people. And a lot of cool people. Just rock up, have a beer with us, hang yeah, out. Absolutely. We'd Should love to see fun. you. Should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. Well, that went all right. So what do you reckon about this bloody murder meter? I think it'd be amazing. I'm going to bring some bones and some bags of blood to mix with some vodka. Well, I'm going to bring my wife, Topsy, <laughs> and my daughter, Topsy, my two sons. Well, they have different names, but we just call them Topsy to make it easier. And my dog, Topsy. <laughs> I'm going to be bringing some bones in a very macabre, mobile type shape. And then afterwards, we could go to the Carlton Cemetery and desecrate some graves. Why don't you come back to my place? I've got a sweet copy of Leprechaun on VHS. I've been dying to see Leprechaun on VHS since it was first invented. <laughs> they, had, they had the intercom on in the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yes, I still haven't seen it yet. I was in prison and we, I've been very busy being famous and important. We did watch that film together. Remember I downloaded all of them? <laughs> yeah, we only made like, it. <laughs> we made it up to Leprechauns in Space and then we just like, it wasn't even funny anymore. It was just sad. But isn't a third or fourth Leprechaun called Leprechauns in the Hood? Yeah, I think and then, we got it to that. Level. And the one after it is called Leprechauns in the Hood 2. <laughs> the Leprechauning. <laughs> oh, yeah, those leprechauns. Woo, badass. Yeah. What a little bit Irish, aren't they? Oh, they are. A and they, and I, hey, I would fuck your shit up. I am going to fuck your shit up very hard. <laughs> to the, be sure, to be sure. Well, you, there you go. Would you like a Guinness? Nah, wrong you, accent. No, no, you do good accents, but your Irish is not really, yeah. Yeah. Me, can you do a, 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 a um, 
A Russian leprechaun? I'd rather do a Polish leprechaun. Okay. Oh, you know, I was working at uh, the bakery and I was trying to follow Rainbow for Pot of Gold at the end. And, you know, I get to the end of Rainbow and you know what? Pot of Gold not there. They moved the Pot of Gold. They moved it to a different suburb and they didn't even fucking tell me. I mean, I followed the Rainbow. You follow the Rainbow, you think Pot of Gold. There was no Pot of Gold. I had to take a tram and a train and a bus to the other side of town to find the Pot of Gold. And when I got there, all gold gone. And my meat pie was cold. My iced coffee was out of date. And I can say anything I want to say with my eyes. Well, it would ruin your day, wouldn't it, when you want to slam down an iced coffee and smash a meat pie? Okay, that is on you to check the fucking expiry date on the iced coffee. It's written there. Use your eyes. I can read anything I want to read with my eyes. (laughs) With your ass. With your ass. Yeah, fucking. Yeah, you fuck what? Call me a fuck what? Hey, you bang on my door and I say I'm not uh-huh. at home to Mr. Cockup. Tara's out. Door slam. Uh, you know, I'm not at home to Mr. Cockup. I'm not answering the door. And you know that sound that they make in Flipper? That mm-hmm. Is it like that? Yeah, pretty much. Kind of like that. It's, they don't make that sound. It's like a sped up kookaburra noise they used. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. What, did you believe Flipper? I did for a while. <sighs> Who wouldn't? Anyone. Well, do you have dolphins in your life that you've heard, you know, you go, dolphins don't make sounds? Oh, uh, yeah. I lived in northern New South Wales. I saw a shit oh, ton of dolphins. You saw dolphins all the time. Yes. And you go, they don't do that. Blah, 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 They're noise. too busy pack raping to make noise. Uh, it's just not how they roll. Hmm. You need to watch some Attenborough. You don't have a hold on this whole dolphin thing. I really don't. I don't know who dolphins are. <laughs> <laughs> it's not no when it isn't. It isn't not no one. It's, yeah. <laughs> please, double, please, double please. Double negative the fuck out of me. Come on. Right. Uh, so I wrote my name on my script. It says, Punsy Theatrical Vampire. <laughs> you know that's mine, right? Well, you signed your work. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We should um, right. Well, probably fuck this dolphin. Chow Hayes was a violent, sadistic standover man and murderer. Chow Hayes was a... V- Ventriloquist Ch- dummy. Ch- Chow Hayes couldn't fucking string two words together. <laughs> so he's a lot like you. Slurry motherfucker. Slurry motherfucker. Okay. Would you like to start us off, Tara? Do you want to catch a breath? I feel like you're a breath behind everything that you're doing. Oh, I, feel like, Just... I feel like a pig shut in my mouth. Well, that's because a pig did... Sh- Remember when we were outside earlier? Oh, yeah. And the pig... Shut in your mouth? Well, we did encourage it to. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> you gave it laxatives and then put your mouth near its bottom. Um, yeah. What did you expect to kept, happen? And I kept touching its curly tail. Yeah, well, that'll do it every time. It'll activate it. <laughs> now, before... <laughs> Jenny Fox... <sighs> oh, that, come on, Tara. <laughs> you fuck up every word and now you give me shit for one. Come on. Oh, my God. You can do worst. it. Oh, don't even pretend to encourage me with your fake encouragement. I'm not uh, buying it on. for I... a single motherfucking second. I believe in you. Just stop talking and then maybe I'll have a chance. Hey, baby, I believe in you. Stop it. Margaret McCrane gave us a good idea. If you're sitting in public and a stranger takes a seat next to you, no, that's not right. Yeah, it is actually right. Oh. You're right. You're so used to not being right that when you're right, oh, you feel really? like you're being wrong. Oh, it's like that, is it? Well, how did you think it was? <sighs> well, are you living in a fool's paradise? You know, you know, you knock on my door and I yell to you, I'm not at home to Mr. Cockup. 
I'm Mrs. Cockup, bitch. Mrs. I'm Ms. I'm Professor Cockup. Look, are you going to be on point today? I don't even know. Are you? Are you going to be on point today? I am always on point. I don't know what Tara I'm going to get today. Is this going to be good Tara or bad Tara or an enormously shit Tara? Oh, my God. Come on, bring it on. Shots fired. That's right. Can you see my cannonballs? Because I'm firing them from my cannon off my pirate ship. I will destroy that, you. Is that even a th- No, really? it's what? not a thing. It's not a thing? No. No. Does it sound like a thing? I, I'm pretty sure it sounds like it's a thing. It's not a thing. <laughs> is it a thing, Barney? Is it? Is it? Oh, no. Don't talk to me like a d- I'm not a puppy. Really? You're giving me shit saying that I'm moody and sometimes I show up unprepared, which isn't true. I'm not at home and to Mr. Cockup. Talk- oh, God. I give up. Really? Yeah. Do it on your own like you did last week. You know that two-minute thing? That Perfect. One, that one-minute trailer I did yeah? for the meetup by oh, it myself. Good. It was good. Yeah. By the way, that got a good rating. Lots of people love that. Okay. Come on. We've got to keep it moving because you know what's important? Momentum. And not being a dick 95% of the time. Just <sighs> If you just be a dick 50% of the time, we'll get through this. Oh, you got this, Tara. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you have my back. You yeah, dick. look, I'm, I've got your back. Oh my you know? god, you're such a dick. I'm, I'll always be there for oh, you. Oh, just the sound of your hey, voice baby. makes me feel oh, unwell. It's hey, kind of ba- like someone's like peeing down my back hey, every time baby, we talk. Is there anything I can do for you? Yeah, I, you could shut the fuck up could, and stick to the script. How's rub, that for us? I a... could rub your shoulders. Okay, why don't you just burn yourself out and then maybe you can focus. Patrons have access to over 20 other episodes, early access to some... Yeah, you're, the way you're saying early, access is weird. Early access to early some access. of... Early access. You sneaky fucking prawns, yeah, eh? Early can... access to some of our regular episodes <laughs> no. and levels above $5. Receive free stickers and handmade Barney bitches. That's the worst fucking South African accent you I've sneaky fucking prawns, ever eh? heard no. No, God, in... that was my oh can you do better that was pretty solid i thought all right i'll do it in irish now no i just maybe just like patrons have access to over 20 other episodes early access to some of our regular episodes and levels above five dollars and above free stickers and handmade barney bridges nico was an only child who spent child nico was an only child Yeah, that's uh, your voice is broken. That's uh, good. You know what? I think it's finally good. You know, you're probably going to start getting hair in unusual places now, Tara. <laughs> Have you been warned about this? Mm-hmm. On your back, maybe on the on the inside of your knees. Oh, I heard something interesting recently. What? Apparently, there's proof that um, men actually mature later than women. Well, in that they don't generally grow boobs until they're in their forties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why are you looking at my chest? Because I'm always looking at your chest. Why are you looking at my chest with envy? <laughs> Actually, well, we're not too far off on yeah, that. Yeah, my boobs are bigger than yours. <laughs> Maybe one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely worth looking into. What a great service. Yeah, yeah. It is so important to... Um, Try and figure your shit out, cunts. <laughs> okay, that wasn't good. Figure um, your shit out, cunts. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe we just... Uh, <laughs> that shows some empathy, doesn't it? Just sort your shit out, cunts. Hey, look, I'm talking to my 
myself when I say it. I'm not just talking to other people. What, you think I'm super nice to myself and just cunty to others? No, I'm super cunty to myself and mostly nice to others if well, you want to know. You're super cunty to me. Yeah, well, you're kind of like me, aren't you? What? Well, and then I talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you in real life. You're just like me. Well, yeah, what shit. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> what would you argue with that? <laughs> no, no, look, I got nothing here. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I um, concur. <laughs> we have an accord. I believe we do have an accord. Shit friend. <laughs> yeah, you shit friend. Uh, I know it. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it. Or. <sighs> We'll fart in the bath. We'll just live with it. Mm. <laughs> we'll fart in the bath and we'll just live with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's your answer to fucking everything, isn't it? Well, it will be now. Ah, fart in the bath. We'll uh, just live look, with it's it. It's been a long time since we've taken baths together. Oh, I- Jesus. We've never taken a bath together. Aren't you my sister? Oh, Didn't we grow up together or something? No, kind of, but not from like bathing together ages. We're not in girls. Oh. You know that TV show, they bathe together? Oh, do they? I don't bathe with my friends. Fuck you. Uh, who has a bath big enough? <laughs> Is that some kind of thing about no, my size? No, it's not. Two adults in a bath. It's not going to work. Oh, you know. No, I'm not saying. I'm not. God. God, what's the word, what? Big Bird? No, Come what on. What are you trying to get at? You can't see my boobs, no. <laughs> Shit tits. <laughs> Excuse me. That's Kelly's nickname. Bad. Meat pie. Blood bag boy. You're a bad blood ah, bag boy. You're ah, the worst blood bag boy I've ever seen in my whole life. I can't find it. Oh, oh there it is. <laughs> Have you checked your anus, you fucking fool? Well, there's many things up there. I know. That's why you're struggling to find it. Oh, that's right. Oh, oh, is that a submarine? Oh, my God. Liam Neeson's the captain of it. Hang on. I'll just move my fingers around. Maybe there's a bit of paper oh, up there, Oh, get too. your hands out of my ass. I don't have my hands in your ass. Why does everything smell like poo? Well, because you're Barney. <sighs> mm-hmm. After spending over 30 years in prison at different times, Chow Hayes was finally released on February 14th. February 14th? Why was it? That's Valentine's Day. <laughs> what well, died in July? I accidentally, because I had my tongue out, I just licked my pop guard and it did well. Oh, you're always licking your I'm pop guard. Not. Just put those balls I away. I know I you've shaved them. I lick other people's pop guards more than my own. After spending 30 years in prison in. <laughs> Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.